Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Empower Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with lightworkers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation with enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. You can check out KarenHager.com and follow Fog City Psychic on Instagram and Facebook for more information about this program, to find out about upcoming classes and events, and to get a glimpse into my other shenanigans as well. There are always shenanigans. One in five Americans are caregivers, and we don't always see them or know this or have insight into the challenges that come with this role. When my mother's partner was nearing the end of his life, she cared for him almost completely on her own. She loved him dearly, fiercely, and did not want to allow anyone to help her. And when he passed, she was shattered. And it was only then that my sister and I found out, really found out, how much she had been doing and how much of a heartbreaking, stressful time it had been. She'd done a lot of that caregiving work in secret out of her desire for privacy, out of her love for her partner and to protect her partner. And with a deep feeling that she didn't want to bother anyone else with this difficult set of circumstances. Well, Daniel Shapiro is my guest today, and he shares in his new book, the reality of the 15 years he spent living and caring for his wife while single-handedly raising his three young children. He often found himself looking for guidance as he struggled to figure out what's right, what's okay, what's wrong, what's human, and how to bear it all. Daniel's here today to talk about the questions that people who are living through unspeakable change, unthinkable circumstances might wonder about, but they don't know who to ask. Are you ready to meet him? Daniel Shapiro is a member of the Board of Trustees of the Brain Research Foundation, a foundation that exists to accelerate discoveries of the human brain by funding pioneering neuroscience research. Dan's three children co-founded the Young Leadership Board in 2016 and have raised more than $260,000 for the Brain Research Foundation. Dan's a graduate of the University of Chicago Law School. A lifelong Chicagoan, he's practiced trial law nationally for many years. He enjoys spending his time reading and hanging out with his grown children. The Thin Ledge, the book we'll be talking about today, is his debut book. He's currently working on a second book, a novel about an aging lawyer, late career ambition, and ethnicity in a changing world. You can find out more about Daniel and his work at danielpshapiro.com. Daniel, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you're here. Let's... Let's start with Susan. Can you 
share a little bit about your wife, about what happened and how long you were her primary caregiver? Sure. So we uh, met when we were in college together. We were 19 years old. Um, that was the beginning of our relationship and it lasted um, until um, uh, Susan was 40 years old. We were, we were the same age um, and was diagnosed with a cavernous angioma, which is a malformation of blood vessels. Uh, her malformation was in her brain and it hemorrhaged and uh, left her with uh, pretty severe impairments, uh, both physical and in terms of personality and emotional changes due to traumatic brain injury. Um, that happened when she was 40. We had uh, three children who were young at the time. The oldest was 10 uh, and then ranging down to four. Uh, and Susan uh, stayed ill and in sort of progressively declining health for the next um, 15 years that we were together. And then at 15 years, uh, we separated. Uh, I moved out of the house. Uh, Susan uh, moved into a series of um, we, we, we tried to keep her in the, the most uh, homey atmosphere that we could manage for the duration of her life, which was about another five years. Uh, and eventually she succumbed to just the degenerative brain injury uh, that she had suffered, uh, you know, by that time, 20 years earlier. Hmm. You, the book is a memoir. The book is called The Thin Ledge, A Husband's Memoir of Love, Trauma, and Unexpected Circumstances. This book is very raw. It's very honest. And you said that you didn't start out intending this to be public. And I'm wondering why you wrote this book and why you did decide to take it public. Well, um, I'm not sure that I have great answers for all of that. I, I, I have always been a writer of one sort or another. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, most of my writing was as a lawyer uh, over the course of my career, just writing legal work. Um, but I found that when Susan became really desperately ill and, and I was desperate in those circumstances, the easiest and, and most effective thing for me to do was to write my thoughts down. And so I was not journaling. I wasn't creating a diary. I would just write down um, the kinds of things that I was experiencing emotionally and, and sort of mentally. And, and that was for me a way to organize my thoughts, to um, sort of stand up the, the ideas and experiences I was having so I could look at them, think about them in some productive way. And as the years went by, um, I thought uh, another part of the experience that I was having was that there really weren't particularly good or many resources to go to, to um, 
share any of those ideas. So it became a lonely kind of intellectual existence. And I thought uh, that if I were to take some of my notes and spend some time and convert that into a book that would actually be a narrative of what happened and the progression of my thinking and the emotional life that I had during that 15 year period, um, that would be something that uh, perhaps would be useful and to sort of put it out there. And um, and actually a lot of the feedback that I've gotten on the book uh, is from people who find themselves in similar, not identical, but similar kinds of circumstances. And they've been incredibly appreciative, I'm gratified to say, of just having a validation for the way that human beings think and respond and um, grapple with the difficulties that being in this kind of caregiving role for a long period of time imposes on people. So I'm glad I did it in, in that way. It is very personal and it is very um, raw, as you said. I, there wasn't another way to write it for me because that was the experience. And I, my hope is that it has some value. I think it's part of what at least spoke to me as I was reading it is that is that rawness. There's a sense as I read this that you're sharing your experience as it really was, not in some kind. I think there's a lot of we're so judgmental about the things that we're not going through ourselves and that we can't see. And because so much of caregiving happens, not where other people can see it. I think that rawness adds real, adds real value. Did you feel sometimes, or do you find that other caregivers tell you they feel hidden a bit or unable to fully express because there's a, you were the brave man. You pushed your wife in the wheelchair and you, right. You were the brave guy and you raised the children bravely. How did you deal with sort of that secrecy of that and that kind of false image that comes in from outside? Um, I, I, I have to say there was so much to deal with at the time for those years um, that the judgments that other people were making were not really front of mind for me. I mean, I, I was struggling just to get through. And so if somebody wanted to pass judgment on what I was or wasn't doing, or <clears throat> first of all, they would have no idea. I mean, it was, you know, they, they had no window into what the experience was, which is why I wrote the part of the reason I wrote the book. Um, so their judgment really wouldn't, have very much weight with me. But even now, as people are reading the book, I mean, I, I, I suspect that the people who judge me harshly and they're welcome to, I mean, I think that's part of putting yourself out there. You've got to be prepared to be evaluated by people. And that's, everybody is entitled to do that. That's um, their business. Whoever is sort of reading and evaluating, making judgments um, that doesn't mean that I have to um, internalize it or give it very much um, weight. My view has always been, um, you know, you're not walking in my shoes. I'm not walking in yours. Take whatever it is of value that I'm presenting and use it for yourself. 
or people you care about. And the rest of it, I'm not sure I care very much about. I don't, if somebody wants to judge me harshly, that's up to them. This is uh, an experience of trauma that then kind of is sometimes slow moving trauma with new things inflicted. How can caregivers keep themselves in, in balance? I don't think, I mean, I think that is a worthy and thoughtful objective. I don't think it's very achievable. I think you, the whole experience of being a caregiver for somebody who's really desperately ill um, is an out of balance kind of experience. You know, it's, it's part of what was so challenging about what happened to Susan was that it Partly it was the physical impairment, but much more significantly, it was the nature of brain injury and the altered person that she became emotionally and psychologically and her ability to sort of be the same person that she was. Um, You know, all of that is housed in your brain. And when your brain gets damaged, terrible things happen. And and the person that you knew um, becomes very elusive. I mean, it's hard to capture that once you're dealing with an injured um, frontal lobe. And, you know, that puts everything out of balance. So I'm not sure that balance is even the objective. I think for me, I I think it, it is more just the ability to distance yourself a little bit from the chaos that you're living and take a step back and sort of being able to say to yourself, if it, if it's true that you're really doing the best you can. And, and that is all that you can expect of yourself. And so just keep soldiering on and do the best you can for the person that you love um, who needs you, you know, in a really deep, exquisite kind of way, but it's not pleasant. Um, and that's that's the way to get through the days, I think. It's just the idea of being in a in a balanced um, life. Um, i I didn't find a way to that. You're listening to Out of the Fog, and I'm talking with Daniel Shapiro. His new book is The Thin Ledge. A Husband's Memoir of Love, Trauma, and Unexpected Circumstances. You can find out more about Daniel and his work at danielpshapiro.com. Especially at the beginning of the book, there's a lot about your experience with doctors and hospitals and the way that outcomes are explained to patients and the way we find out what to expect. What, what do you think about the way the healthcare system is in the U.S. right now, and what could change, what maybe needs to change, so that we're all being hmm, clearer with each other. So I, I mean, it's a my my thinking on that is complicated because the the experience is complicated. On the one hand, I think the healthcare um, provider system is populated with a lot of really magnificent people. I mean, they're, they truly are caring. They're truly are skilled. I, I mean, I, I had the good fortune of 
of um, finding some of the best neurosurgeons and neurologists uh, on the planet. And they were being in the hands of somebody who's really capable that way, who you trust is really a, it's a great thing. I mean, in a, in a situation that's just a complete train wreck, a disaster, if you have at least people taking care of the patient who you have regard for, you know, you, you trust these doctors, that's a big deal. So that's on the one hand, I don't want to shortchange them one nickel in terms of the amount of effort, skill and compassion they put into uh, all of it. The flip side of that is the ability of the medical profession to deal with brain injury is pretty limited. They, you know, the brain is just this organ that they're not. And I think the good doctors would be the first ones to tell you they have a very limited set of, um, you know, tools to bring to bear. They can't, they can't do a lot for, for the kind of thing that we were dealing with. And so um, that was sort of a little bit shocking. I mean, I think, you know, science uh, tends to have this, um, you know, very broad uh, um, grasp over a lot of things and you rely on it. And some of the drugs are fantastic and the surgeries are fantastic. And then you get to other things and it's pretty primitive still. And I think brain injury uh, may be one of those areas there where there, it's a limited bag of tricks. And you are a member of the board of trustees of the Brain Research Foundation. What what are your hopes for that foundation in terms of kind of addressing that lack of understanding? So what what the Brain Research Foundation specializes in is funding basic science research, because um, if you if you bet on basic science that, you know, it doesn't have and the project or the research doesn't have an apparent application, but they're in the business of just learning more about the basics of the way the brain works. Great things come from that that are unanticipated. And that's really the nature of what BRF does. They fund this sort of startup science that um, is asking these very fundamental questions, uh, trying to get answers at the basic science level. And I think that's where the future is going to be. I mean, I think that's that's how you get from where we are to um, more, um, you know, more effective science and medicine on, on brain injury. When you were in the midst of this experience, in right in the depths of it in those 15 years, what did you want to express or what did you wish someone could have said to you that would have not made it better, but that would have helped or given you some insight? I'm wondering because I feel like that's what you're wanting to do with this book is help us give us insight. You know, it's a great question. And, and I think, um, The answer for me, and it may be different for different people, but the answer for me is don't be afraid to ask somebody in the position I was in how they are, how they're doing. Um, It's, you know, it's, it's a relevant thing to ask. And, and it's, I think because 
the caregiver is going through such a demanding, difficult emotional experience. I think maybe if somebody says, how are you? They're opening a Pandora's box. Maybe they don't really want to get into or they're not prepared to deal with or it's a little bit scary. I understand all of that. But if the question is, what can you say to somebody in the position of caregiver, um, somebody who's spending all of their time raising a family, maintaining a career, caring for, obviously, the person who needs care, if you can just say to them, how are you? That's a big deal. That's, that, that reaches a lot of um, the, it sort of pierces through some of the isolation that caregivers, I think, can feel. Do you have people like that there for you? People who asked yes. that question showed up in that way? Yes. I, I was really lucky that way. I have siblings um, at the time. Uh, my mom was still alive. We were, we were close and, and um, friends. I, I had a great network and, um, and people who were concerned about me. And, and uh, uh, yeah, I was lucky about that. As you moved through this time, I'm wondering if you can say something about the way we move on from and begin to heal after an enormously life-changing experience like this, a traumatic experience like this. So to my surprise, I've never been a um, religious person. I, I mean, I, I, I have a religion, but I never found it all that um, meaningful to me. Um, and I just, I, I found that there are some things in religion. I started reading on other belief systems, Buddhism in particular, and all of it led me sort of the same place, which was basically to be grateful for where you are and what you have and the moments you have with the people you care about. I, I, gratitude has a lot to do, I found, for me, I can't speak to anybody else, but it has a lot to do with finding your way out of that thicket. You know, just stop thinking about the what you just experienced and the nightmare that it all was and just be grateful for, you know, this sunny day that you happen to be in. And that helps. I found that that's, that's the ticket out. How are you now? How are the kids? Great. Uh, the kids are, the kids are great. Everybody carries this around with them. It's, I think about it. Um, I'm sure they think about it, uh, but we found partly by being very tight knit and having a great family unit um, that uh, we, unfortunately, without Susan, without their mom, um, but we survived it and um, and lives are being lived and moving forward. And, and I don't know that you can ask for anything more than that. I know we just have a couple minutes left together. Can you let the listeners know where they can find out more about what you're up to and how they can get their hands on the book? Sure. I, the easiest way to get to the book, uh, I always say, um, is through Amazon. I, that's, that's how I frequently buy. I mean, there's a local bookstore that I frequent and I love bookstores and I'm old enough 
so that um, I, I'm a pre-Amazon person. <laughs> um, and I used to go into bookstores. I, you know, a friend of mine said his, his happiest place was when he walked into a bookstore with an extra 10 bucks in his pocket. Um, and it's not 10 bucks anymore, but it, it, you get the idea. Um, but now there are few and far between um, those bookstores. And um, I go online and I go to Amazon and you'll find the thin ledge um, on Amazon and you can order it easily. And that's really the quickest way to do it. Um, so, and there, it's on other, the other electronic platforms as well. I think there's a Barnes and Noble platform and, um, a few others, but I, I just for ease of reference, I, um, I would go to Amazon and order it up there. You can get it in hardback. You can get it, um, in, um, uh, electronic format, either paper or electronic. Hmm. I'm a pre-Amazon person too. And there's something about for me in tough times in my life or scary times, bookstores, like real bookstores. Remember that you remember those real bookstores are places of sanctuary. They're places of refuge. And I feel like as we lose those beautiful places, um, we lose something really important, not just for a great place to go and buy a book, but it's, it's kind of an, it's sort of important for our spirits as well as those go. Agreed. Mm. Daniel, thank you so much for talking to us today. I really appreciate your candor and the things that you're sharing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That is Daniel Shapiro. His new book is The Thin Ledge, a husband's memoir of love, trauma, and unexpected circumstances. You can find that book on Amazon, or you can find a bookstore, wander in, tell them you want to buy The Thin Ledge. And you can find out more about Daniel and his work at danielpshapiro.com. And of course, you're always welcome over at karenhager.com. That's a good place to find out about upcoming classes and events. And you can book a private session with me there too, if you want to connect voice to voice. You can find me also, I'm Fog City Psychic on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening today. Together, we are spreading a little more light in the world and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. My goodness, thank you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.